On Into the Storm Leaders, we talk about delegation and empowering your people quite a bit. I'll start this with a question for you. Do you feel like you delegate effectively enough? Develop and set your team up for success in a way that would enable you to step away from the business and take a one-month sabbatical. It seems like a myth to many, but Michael Cantor from Allegro Commercial Real Estate did exactly that. And fresh off of his return, uh, we brought him in to do an interview. He's an EOS client of ours, has some great insights uh, just on leadership and uh, the sort of work that he does. But there's a lot in this one that we've not yet really touched on. So I'm excited for you to give it a listen, encourage you to hang around to the end, give us your feedback and comments as always, and reach out to Michael on LinkedIn if you have any questions for him because you realize that you could benefit from stepping back and kind of hitting that reset button and seeing if your team rises to the challenge like his did. Welcome to Into the Storm Leaders, the no BS podcast that ignites leadership potential and sparks innovation in the ever-evolving business landscape we all work in. I'm Joe Jurek, your host, joined by my co-host and Culture Shock senior coach, Pete Hansberger. Together, we embark on a journey to uncover the strategies, mindsets, and actions that drive truly exceptional leadership and winning culture. Whether you're an emerging leader looking to level up in your career or an accomplished executive seeking fresh perspectives, join us as we uncover inspiring stories and thought-provoking insights from proven leaders and share practical takeaways that enable courageous leadership. Get ready to charge into the storm and become a catalyst for better workplace culture. Well, folks, welcome back to another episode of Into the Storm Leaders. Today, we're sitting down with Michael Cantor. He is the president, chairman, and founding principal at Allegro. We've had the pleasure of working with Michael and his team uh, here at Culture Shock over the past few years now. I've seen him in the hallway. Uh, we've chatted occasionally, uh, and I, I'm really pumped to introduce you to him and have him share some of his story about the past year and his experience with EOS, his leadership journey, and what he does at Allegra. So, Michael, you want to say hi? Hi. Uh, I'm Michael Cantor. As Joe said, I'm one of the founding principals of Allegro. Um, we are a commercial real estate brokerage and consulting firm uh, that was established in 2001, very uniquely structured in our industry. Uh, we are exclusively occupier focused, so we do tenant and buyer representation. We have a salaried business model in an industry that's primarily made up of independent contractors working on straight commission. Yes. And we are we do work nationally and internationally, and we're globally independent of any of the national firms and networks, which allows us to, uh, across those three things, those those three attributes being, a, I don't, I'm not thrilled with the way I said this, but do it again. The, three at, the three attributes that make us unique are our exclusive occupier focus, our salaried business model, and our global independence. And those three attributes were designed to eliminate conflicts of interest that are common in our industry. Um, and it changes the whole way that we do business. It allows us to be collaborative, to be client-focused, putting clients first, and, uh, and to operate as a, as a firm as opposed to a group of individuals. Yeah. Those three uniques, 
have those always been there or have you identified or they've taken larger shape since you've implemented EOS or like have that, has that always been a part of Allegro's model and vision uh, to have those three things? It has always been a part. It's basically uh, my whole career I've been on a mission to change the commercial real estate industry. Awesome. Um, the first firm I worked with was a cutting edge firm, uh, one of the first exclusive tenant representation firms in the country, the first one in Ohio. Okay. So we gave up listing, taking listings for property owners and only represented businesses, nonprofits, and corporate or, or businesses, nonprofits, and government clients who are not in the real estate business but need real estate to operate their businesses. Um, so we leveled the playing field between the user of real estate and the investor of real estate. And from there, I worked with a company that was one of the first corporate real estate outsourcing firms in the country. So we became the outsourced real estate department for large corporations, again, focused on companies that aren't in the real estate industry who utilize real estate for operational purposes. Yeah. And from there, I reunited with some of my colleagues from the first firm in a third firm that was one of the only salaried brokerage companies in the country um, and really learned what a great collaborative environment can, can what can be created in that, in, in that structure in an industry where, again, these independent contractors working on straight commission basically compete with each other within the walls of their own company. Um, in the salaried business model, we're able to operate as a team, bring the right resources to every issue that comes up for a client, and again, really putting clients first. Deloitte bought out that company. The other founding partners and I were all together at Deloitte, and uh, some things happened in the independent audit world uh, when Enron collapsed and Arthur Anderson imploded. And uh, we were being told that, you know, based on some new legislation that was being passed, that um, we wouldn't be able to provide consulting services to basically a quarter of the, a quarter of the publicly traded companies. Eef. So um, in 2001 to 2002, there were five of us who left Deloitte and formed Allegro. And the goal was to take all of the best attributes of those other business models that I was involved in and create a conflict-free business model in the commercial real estate brokerage industry. And that's what we, what we did. EOS, you know, fast forward to EOS, and I think it helped us to uncover those things that made us unique, the, the three uniques yeah. about our business, and helped us recognize that those three things in combination make us unique nationally in our industry. That's something I've appreciated about it, too, is that even if things like that were always there, right. pulling them forward because you, you should broadcast and advertise when you have things that separate you, differentiate you from so many others. And that, that salary model and having a firm, you, you said it, it makes a huge difference in the customer experience and the client experience, right? Because the, the interaction is just different when you're not watching your back or losing them to somebody internally and you can truly act as we instead of me, right? right. And, I'm sure that plays a huge factor in your culture. And Absolutely. That's what we talk about is culture. We talk about leadership, uh, in engagement. And, uh, you know, for, from what I understand about what you, you and your team have done, I think there's some things that we should celebrate uh, and talk about some of that today. And I think that your uniques being what they are 
and those being so unique for the industry are probably a big part of that. Allegro's here, right? In Cleveland, Ohio, or are you Ohio? We're based in Cleveland, and we also have an office in Columbus. Okay. And about half of our work that we do is in the state of Ohio, and the other half is everywhere else. So we have a dozen clients with global footprints, and wherever they do business, we help them with their real estate. You said five of you came over from De- Deloitte. What is your team size now, ballpark? Like, what? how many people make up? We have 30 people now. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. So, again, in our industry, if if you're in the conventional brokerage world, you might have a team of one or three or maybe five people right. that work together, and you may be branded as one of the biggest companies in the world, but our little boutique consulting firm provides a team of 30 people, and we can bring the strengths of each of those individuals to any issue that comes up because we're not trying to figure out how do I split this commission between my colleagues and me. Oh, you know what? You might be an expert in that issue, but never mind. I don't want to give you a piece of my fee. Yeah. That's how our competitor, that's something our competitors have to contend with. We've eliminated that based on our business model so that we can work collaboratively. Even in other industries, like I've seen a lot of folks trying to get to that place where there is that collective we, the it, instead of it being individually serving or uh, e- even just as organizations grow, they have different business units and functions. And of course, you're focused on what is yours, right? And uh, I've heard ESOP, like employee shared ownership programs, that, that has been talked about a lot on this podcast. And uh, from a lot of our clients, and I think folks are just always looking for ways to, yeah. how do we act as a unit? How, how do we truly become a team? Because that's how, you know, our, our, the client experience is going to be so much better. So, so one of the things we do in that respect is uh, I'd say we have a simulated ESOP. So a lot of people in our industry like the straight commission model because sky's the limit on what they can make. Yeah. So what we do with our salaried models, we create a bonus structure that's based on the financial achievement of the company. Your salary is based on your, your individual value as a professional, but you can still make a bonus where sky's the limit. And instead of focusing on your individual stat sheet, we have you focus on the scoreboard and making sure the team's winning. Because when the clients are winning, our team's winning, we're each individually winning. It's a, it's a healthy way to structure incentives. and a, it's something that, that should be so simple to, to do things like that with bonuses and commissions. But when I get to know different organizations, I often do see there's there's major gaps, like a, a missing piece like that of tying individual performance to greater company results, tying greater company results to individual incentive. Uh, it, it should be that way, right? And I don't want to spend too much time there because I, I want to pull some other stuff out of your brain, Michael, mm-hmm. uh, including kind of your journey, what got you there, peak leadership moments, and uh, something that we had talked about, geez, before you left, I think I don't even think the podcast existed yet, but it was taking shape, and you were talking about taking a sabbatical, and it was like, oh, when we start this, that's going to be a great thing to debrief on and, and hear about your experience uh, and share that with listeners, because I think that's for most, maybe more of a myth than a reality is to not just take a clarity break, but to truly 
step away with a very intentional uh, but flexible focus for a while uh, away from the business. So I, we don't need to, and of course, the way I introduced it, we don't need to get into that right now, but I, I wanted listeners to know that at some point during the conversation, I, I definitely want you to share that. Uh, and I, I think there's something that you'll absolutely take from it. But let, let's step back a little bit. We, you told us what Allegra does. You told us what makes you unique, uh, kind of the, the, the team size and growth. Uh, how about you from, what about before Deloitte and you, your journey? Uh, have, you, have you shared that before on a podcast? Have you talked about kind of your leadership journey? Are you from Ohio? Did you uh, bounce around a few different things? Or tell us what, what, you, what you're willing to about how you got to where you are today. I was born and raised in Greater Cleveland. I went to uh, college at Miami of Ohio. Okay. Pursued, uh, I earned two, two bachelor's degrees, a bachelor of science in business with a major in marketing and a bachelor of arts in English with a focus in creative writing. Okay. And the combination was intended to set me up to become a copywriter in the advertising industry. And my, at Miami, I had this fantastic opportunity to work with a lot of real world clients on marketing and advertising campaigns, companies like Procter and Gamble and and uh, Cincinnati Bell Telephone and Xerox and Owens Corning and a bunch of major companies. And I realized about halfway through my undergraduate education that if I was pressured to be creative about selling soap and toothpaste for the rest of my life, that I would burn out. And at the time that I was at Miami, there was a building boom going on back in Cleveland. Mm. Downtown Cleveland was being built up. Um, there were probably six or seven new skyscrapers at that time. There were a bunch of suburban office markets being built. And every time I would come home, I would drive around Cleveland and I would go to see my build my buildings. Just I wanted to see what was happening to my city. Yeah. And, um, you know, maybe when I was in middle school, I thought I wanted to be an architect. So now I'm this business and English student who is getting back in, in contact with this interest in architecture and construction and building. And I found that there was another way for me to participate in that activity. And that was through commercial real estate, through development, through brokerage, uh, through making the business transactions happen that would be um, exhibited in these physical structures that change communities. Yeah. And so still... that's that's what attracted me. I made the shift, did a couple of internships with uh, commercial real estate firms, and, um, and then sought out an opportunity in my last summer to work with a commercial real estate brokerage firm in Cleveland that was specializing in tenant representation. So that's... That's how I ended up where I am. And I mean, so in some respects, you could look at my journey. I've now been in commercial real estate for over 30 years. It's kind of a straight path. Like I figured out what I wanted to do. I've stayed passionate about doing it. And then 30 some years later, I'm still at it. That's cool. I, it, when you talked about coming back to Cleveland, seeing your buildings, it, having that fascination with the development and growth, I feel that because yep. I lived away for about a decade and bounced around and have an appreciation and love for Cleveland. I don't think I would have had, had I not left, but 
when there was sometimes a, a year or so in between visits, you come back and you see this life, this growth. And there's a lot of that over the past 20 years Yeah, uh, in Cleveland. So I, I can understand what would have drawn you that way. Uh, the copywriting front, I mean, how do you... How do you scratch that itch now? Is there anything from the work that you do with Allegro where you find yourself uh, leaning forward with that skill at all? Or or is it more personal? Does that take us into the sabbatical? Or or I don't know. What what can you share about there there was surely a love or passion or something that drew you that way as well, even if you don't want to write about toothpaste? Yeah. I can uh, answer on two fronts. I do use that in Allegro. I think, you know, obviously uh, working with our marketing consultants, I stay involved in that, in the sales and marketing activities for the company. So I have some influence over how we write creatively about who we are Yeah, and do a lot of other, there's writing is a really important skill for the work that we do. Um, So I use writing as a skill in Allegro on a regular basis, but as you just mentioned, when we determined that I would take a sabbatical, I was, at first, I thought to myself, well, I never thought of taking a sabbatical before. What would I do on a, What would I do if I walked away from my company for four weeks, fully disconnected? I had, I did, I walked away for four weeks. I w- had no email access. I had no calendar. I had no phone calls coming in. What would I do at that time? And um, I decided I would use my Bachelor of Arts in English background that I would start to do the research phase on a book of historical fiction that I'd always wanted to write. So over the course of the four weeks that I was on sabbatical, I visited 10 history museums studying the industrial age because that's the area that I've always wanted to write about in in a book of fiction. And um, I got back in touch with that side of my brain. That's really cool. Yeah. Uh, So let's, let's go to when you determined you were going to do that and you know like what made you i think when people hear four weeks away from work and the sabbatical um, like oh that sounds great what many would probably feel like what would i do with myself and maybe not have that passion to fall back on or to further explore uh and i, I imagine you didn't want to just sit at home on the couch for that time that wouldn't have recharged you or, or um, you know been as gratifying as when you found a personal mission or something you want to go do like this but talk to me about the thought process why why that were there other things you considered what was uh, I know you you have your family right mm-hmm. you have kids we were talking about uh, being off at school and things like that now starting to get a little bit older but uh, you and your wife were more recently empty nesters. That yep. Did that play into uh, this? And, and just open it up for me, I guess. Tell me more about thought process going into it. Uh, as some of our listeners may be in a place that they hadn't considered it before, but could really benefit from it. Uh, I'm sure you had objections in your own head about this. So I asked you like 18 questions there in one before I give you a chance Where to answer any, but Where uh, should I start? Just you... the thought process in in uh, making that step and and using utilizing that time how you did, all that went into that decision. I feel like I need to start with the fact that we implemented EOS 3 years ago. 
Okay. And in one of our annual planning sessions, our two-day session, um, we were having a conversation at the beginning of day one, and the concept came up. And basically, you know, I think having <laughs> been ha- having taken on the daunting role of visionary for three years, I was I rec- I acknowledged to my leadership team that I was suffering some burnout, that the change in responsibility that, you know, I I'm a proponent of EOS and the idea that I've empowered my leadership team. I've empowered my practice area chairs to grow as leaders within the company. We've distributed some of my managing partner responsibilities out to those other people. Mm -hmm. And it's the right thing for the company. And you can see it by our firm's performance over the last three years, year over year. It's been fantastic. We're achieving and exceeding our our goals. Um, But for me personally, it was a huge change in my day-to-day work experience, my experience with what makes me feel productive. You know, how am I using my time? How am I, at the end of the day, how am I measuring whether or not I had a good day, a good productive day of work? And being a visionary and not being a managing partner um, is a very, it's a very different role. And it became some, it was somewhat amorphous for me to kind of evaluate how I was operating. And that came out in our annual EOS planning session. And I described it as burnout at the time. Um, a few months later, as I really started digging into the sabbatical, I actually came across I came across the term rust out it, and recognized I was actually experiencing rust out, not burnout. Burnout is when you're overutilized and you know for a period of time, and you're just you just can't work at that level anymore. Yeah. Rust out comes from feeling underutilized or improperly utilized, and I think that by giving up a lot of the roles and responsibilities that I had had for the prior decade, I was feeling some rust out. So our implement, our EOS implementer, Ron Kaminsky, suggested the concept of a sabbatical. And at first I was taken aback, like I'd never thought about doing something like that before. Um, I think that my business and my personal journey were so intertwined, it was kind of... <laughs> It was that was a daunting concept to say, okay, I'm going to detach from this business that is part of my identity, no doubt, for a period of time. And um, you know, just it was it was a uh, unusual concept. So day two of our planning session, we start out, and Ron said, "So Michael, what do you think about the sabbatical?" I said, "Well, I talked to my wife about it, and we're considering it." And one of my leadership team members turned to me and said, you're not considering it. You are taking a sabbatical. We want you to take a sabbatical. We want you to do it because you need to. We want you to do it because we want to know if it's a concept that we should provide as a benefit to other people in the firm Hmm. based on certain parameters. And we want you to go do that. So I, of course, being the type A personality that I am, went on a journey to fully research what it means to take a sabbatical, what people do when they take sabbaticals, why companies do it, why individuals do it. I wanted to make sure that if I was going to take four weeks away from my business, that it was going to be time well spent. Okay. And um, so I I studied it. I, um, I, pre- I presented the concept to my leadership team before I took the sabbatical that here's why people do it. Here's why companies want people to do it. Here's what people do with their time. Some people 
you know, I always said a lot of people will go and hike around Thailand for four weeks. It just wasn't on my bucket list. Um, I had just, I had a plan, I had a planned trip to go to Barcelona in January. So I didn't really need to do any international travel as my sabbatical. I think I just, I needed to take on a project that was different from my day-to-day 30-some year professional experience. Yeah. And that's why I undertook the uh, research phase of writing a book. It makes sense that you research sabbaticals. Well, what to do, you know, it's, it is a foreign concept to many. And EOS does uh, promote or at least put the, the idea, some of the benefits of especially executives who've been so attached with their business because it is a big part of their identity mm-hmm. because they started it and keep it close to them for a long time. Uh, that it can be this really healthy thing. And uh, no two sabbaticals are the same, I imagine, right? It's uh, completely up to that person. A cu- there was a lot that you said there, Michael. Like, mm-hmm. first off, rust out. I wasn't really familiar with that term or concept, but boy, does that align with something we talk about a lot. And that's taking how taking care of yourself and having some of that intentional life design has major spillover effect into your professional life, right? There's also a factor of spending your time what in areas that bring you energy. We talk about the Colby assessments. We talk about aligning your instinctive strengths with the type of work that you do. And when we do this workshop on delegation, it's like we need to stop thinking about delegation as just the unimportant administrative tasks that you delegate, you want to ultimately get to a place that the work you're doing brings you energy. So it's the stuff where you're contributing the absolute most value. It's leveraging your best skills and it's giving you the most joy or satisfaction. And those are the things that we often don't want to delegate as much. You want to hold on to those, but still delegate some important things to others because that's how you empower them to grow. Your team that wanted to support you in this, saw the the big picture benefit, not just for you, but perhaps the company. I'm willing to bet there was part of them too. It's like, let us prove to you and demonstrate that we got this. Uh, like, yeah. And I don't know, any thoughts? As important as it was for me to get to step away from the company and to be refreshed and re-energized, yeah. it was equally important for my team to be able to run the company, to grow into the roles, to to increase their self-confidence, to take on running the company with me gone. I laid out a plan for, it took me a couple of weeks to lay out a plan to help uh, direct any prospects or client issues that came up. Um, and I had my assistant manage my email and basically red flag anything that needed my attention when I came back or she determined what needed somebody else's attention while I was gone. So we distributed out any issues that popped up while I was gone. Um, my team, well, well, when I came back from sabbatical, there were no fires to put out. So my team demonstrated that they can be a self-managing company. Every entrepreneur's dream is to create a self-managing company. Right. I guess. That's what I'm told. And so... I think that, you know, we, 
I think because of EOS, we have we have the infrastructure and the people empowered and accountable for running the business in a way where it can be a self-managing company. There's two sides to the coin, and I, I've lived that. One of the biggest, let's say, there's plenty of obstacles to delegation. Right? It, it gets harder before it gets easier. You have to invest the time, the training. You've got to take a chance or a calculated risk that the person that you are empowering, they get it, they want it, they have capacity, right? They, um, I, I, I like to offer stretch assignments to people. Like, let, let's stretch them one, two, three potentially layers above their current capability because I'm a big believer that if you believe people will step up, they often rise to the occasion. If you don't, well, they're going to prove you right either way. But it's hard. It, not just to uh, you know, invest that, that time and, that, and take that risk with people, but I, as I've grown a business before, there's the way that I felt good about the day, the way that I knew like today was a, a productive, meaningful day was a lot of times what I was accomplishing and my involvement in mm-hmm. this myriad of things. And I, I think a lot of business owners, while in theory, it's the dream to have the self-running business, when all of a sudden you're not needed as much. Like, sure, you can still add value, yeah. but you've done the right things to develop your team in a way that they can not only keep the fires from starting, but let's be honest, in some ways, like we each have our own strengths. And in some ways, even if it's something we enjoy doing, a member of our team could be more suited to bring their strengths to that function, right? And it, it, having to give up some of that stuff isn't easy. Like I, I felt it, you, you were kind of saying you felt similarly, yep, yep. right? Like, well, I've, always, I've always said that delegation skills are probably the hardest thing that you have to um, build up during your working life, that it's a pendulum swing where somebody has to establish your confidence that they can handle the, the activities that you've delegated to them. And if they aren't achieving it, people immediately move to micromanaging them. Yes. And the opposite end of the spectrum is over-delegating and not having any kind of quality control or quality assurance role in the process. So it's trying to find that that balance, and it's it's different for from person to person that you're delegating to. It's different from activity to activity. Mm-hmm. So it's always trying to find that balance of not micromanaging and not over delegating. Um, and again, on over the course of my sabbatical, to the extent that I delegated activities to my team members, they all handled it, as far as I know. I mean, no, no fires to return to. Um, the other thing you talked about was um, I returned from my sabbatical, and one feeling that crossed my mind was, am I expendable now? Like, do they need me here? And instead of suffering through that set of emotions, I decided to refocus my efforts. That My sabbatical had created a clean slate for me to figure out how I should best allocate my time and energy going forward. And um, I 
and you've kind of touched on some of the points of the process, but I undertook the process that Dan, Dan Sullivan's strategic coach program lays out called unique ability discovery. Yeah. And one of the first things you do is you create an inventory of your activities at a pretty high level of detail, like lay out 40 different activities that you do on any given day or any given week and categorize them. And there are some that it's a tough thing to say, but you're incompetent at them. Those things need to be eliminated and delegated. Mm. There are things that you're merely competent about. Um, and again, those are easier things to delegate to people. Then there are things that you're excellent at, but maybe not passionate about. Right. People rely on you to do it. It's part of your job, but it's not what gives you energy. What gives you energy are your unique abilities. There are things that you're both excellent at and, and energized by, uh, passionate about. Right. And so the goal is over time to, you know, you, you start to lay out how much of my time is allocated to these four categories. The goal is to start moving more and more of your time into those unique abilities where you add the most value to the people around you. It's not just for your own energy. It's for the energy of the people that you work with day to day and, and f figuring out how you best add value to people in both your professional and your personal life. No doubt. What well, would... Were there any unexpected realizations as you went through that exercise? Did you naturally know what those things were going to be? Or were there any that popped up where you're like, well, this makes sense. And I want to find ways to tap into that unique ability. And because this is the stuff that does bring me energy. Like, did it, did going through that program and that exercise with strategic coach give you any different insights or, or change what happened next or where you're focusing? So I just described there are two paths you take. This one's called the activity path. The other one's called the naming path. In the activity path, I'd say probably the biggest aha moments were taking the pieces of processes. So use business development, sales as one example. There are certain things where I have a unique ability. I... <laughs> I wrote down that I, I like cocktail parties. I, I'm really good at cocktail parties. Okay. Telling Allegro's story, getting connecting with people, opening up the opportunity. Yeah. I'm good at opening up, opening up sales opportunities, and I'm also very good at closing them. But there are certain steps in the sales process that I am probably better off delegating to other people where it's their unique ability and not mine. So I think the big aha moment in the activity path was identifying the components of any given process, whether it was sales or service delivery or other administrative functions, where do I add the most value? Um, one of the things that came out is I'm really good at coaching teams that are delivering services that I've delivered for decades. Mm -hmm. And maybe I'm not as excited about doing the same thing over and over again, but as other people are learning to do it, I play a really good role counseling them, coaching them, mentoring them to make sure that our clients' needs are being best met, but I don't necessarily have to do it all anymore. I can delegate some of that. And so th that was the other aha moment. It was that um, I can play a different role and still add immense value to my clients uh, without being in the trenches and you know taking every one of the, the steps along the way. The second path, the naming path, was also... Um, provided a lot of insights. And the naming path is interesting because you, you go out to about 10 people and you ask them by email what 
it seems really self-serving. You ask them, what do you think my unique ability is? With some prompts. So you give them some ideas. I think my favorite prompt is, what do you most rely upon me for? Yeah. And um, what you learn is that a lot of things that come to you naturally, you don't recognize as being unique abilities. But when 10 people tell you the same types of, they give you the same kind of feedback, the same certain uh, themes come up in the feedback from 10 different people, you start to realize things that you've been doing since preschool are unique to you. And um, that combined with doing the Colby Index assessment and doing the Clifton Strengths Finder assessment, you find common themes from the feedback from those 10 people and from those two assessments that help you identify what maybe I think I had to identify 10 unique habit ability habits. Okay. And from the 10 unique ability habits, I had to boil that down to one statement about what my unique ability is, but I haven't memorized it yet. So I can't tell you. Uh, that's fair. That's fair. I could probably speak to what some of the attributes are of my unique abilities, but, um, it, it, yeah, I think I learned some things just, just reading the book and preparing to do some of these exercises. I recognized that there were some things unique about me that exhibited from stories I've been told about how I behaved when I was three and four years old in a way that I behaved again when I was in my mid twenties and late twenties and some things that I just never really pieced together until I went through this discovery process. It was really enlightening. It's self-awareness and, and perspective. Like I often wish, even if you're a high empathy human who looks at things from other people's shoes and point of view to really be able to see yourself as other people do, it's impossible. It, it, you know, I've heard things about how the version of ourselves that we know, we're the only one who knows it. Every interaction we have, every relationship we have is a slightly different variation of ourselves. And when you're talking about the strengths and it, it's funny, we, we can often, if we have even a, a dash of humility, acknowledge the areas that are opportunities or own the things that we want to be better at. But people have a really hard time mm -hmm identifying and celebrating some of their like most natural strengths. And you touched on the, the prompts to your team and asking them. And this is, there's an exercise that I've done with a few executives where I realized like, okay, maybe they don't have any form, any group of people who are giving them that objectivity. They, they don't have, Hmm. accountability of others to be like, Hey, do you realize how this is perceived or, or what have you? Because you can get very narrow and siloed in your purview because people fear speaking truth to power. So the more that you get into these senior leadership roles, you can lose that. And just that exercise of asking hmm. for strengths, I think that that can be come both sides, right? Like here's the things I think I do well, or here's the things I know I could do better at. Do you agree? What am I missing? Uh, I, I love that example uh, of then even looking for the common threads and where you see it come up on Colby and, and Clifton Strengths Finder to see like, okay, this is just validating for me. Right. Right. Uh, because I, at least in my experience, I don't feel like we're intentional enough about pausing and looking at how where our time is going, that where we're investing it, 
because there's so many different things that for us to continue to get like gratification out of what we do, I think we probably need to be more disciplined about and disciplined and honest with ourselves about what we are actually good at or what we spin our wheels with, what we think is uh, something we should be working on and what actually brings us energy. So uh, is there anything you're doing? I know you went through that strategic approach coach program yourself for anyone else listening, like, or for your team, is there some sort of process or tool? Did you implement any of this stuff at Allegro or encourage others to identify their own unique abilities as well in any way? Or is that something you can see like a way of doing it with a larger group? Or what would your thoughts be there? It came up in our last quarterly EOS planning session with the leadership team. I, uh, I basically shared with my leadership team, here are my unique abilities. And it was interesting because I, I went through the, I, I actually went through my activity inventory and one of my leadership team members, as I'm going through incompetent, incompetent, and excellent activity, said, well, well, that's your job. And I said, hold on a second. Then I went through my unique ability activities and he said, okay, I get it. That makes perfect sense now. Once you get, once you boil it down to where you really add value in each of those activities, it made a lot of sense. And one of the conversations that came out of that was, would this unique ability discovery process be valuable to other people in the firm? You know, should it be something that we roll out to the rest of the leadership team and the ownership group, uh, and then work our way down through the practice area chairs and all the way through the company to figure out, to help people figure out how do they best add value to the people around them? So you ask people, what's my unique ability? And it feels self-serving, but when what you're really trying to get to is how can I serve you better? Yeah. And that's, that's really the, the benefit of the program. Um, I'm, I actually wasn't in strategic coach. I'm not in the strategic coach program. I had a friend who okay. is in it, who sent me the books after we had a conversation and said, here's, here's a good way for you to figure out what your re-entry plan should look like. Oh, nice. And, um, so I spent about a month on the self exploration path and, and, uh, it's interesting. Um, a lot of people say when they take a sabbatical that it was transformational. And I came out on my sabbatical and I said, it was refreshing. Yeah. I don't know if I could call it transformational yet, but after doing the unique ability discovery process that wouldn't have happened had I not taken the sabbatical, I think in the long run, I'm going to look back at the, those, the combination of those two activities, the sabbatical and the discovery process and say, that was transformational. Because I do on a daily basis now, you know, I, I thought about my sabbatical and I said, I'm, I'm going to take four weeks away from my business. I want to make sure it's time well spent. Now I go about every day and say, is this day time well spent? Am I using my unique abilities? Am I focusing on the right activities in any given day so that I can come away feeling good about it? And um, that cleans up the rust out. Yeah. If you're, if you can. So uh, how do I put this? One of the things that I discovered about myself is, number one, I'm data-driven. So as I said, I dove into the sabbatical process and said, I have to research this and make sure that I'm going to do this right. So I guess I recognize that I'm very data-driven. I also recognize that um, I'm achievement-oriented. And that's why I was suffering from rust out, that I wasn't able to check the box on all the, each of the things that I was completing in a given day because I wasn't doing the same activities as I used to do. Now I can look at a different set of activities 
and measure them and get some self-satisfaction that I am achieving something every day. Yeah. I just had to look at it differently. And this process has helped me uh, view the role as visionary in a different way than I was able to before I took the sabbatical. Was the, if you could go back and do it again, would you have taken more time, <laughs> less time? Would you have done anything differently with the sabbatical? You know, when I told people I was going on a sabbatical, they said, for how long? And I, I said, four weeks. I had some people say, that's not a sabbatical. That's just a long vacation. And I would tell you that I don't think you could do it for less than four weeks, but I don't think I could do it for more than four weeks. Mm. So as we investigated whether or not this is something we'd want to offer to other people, I have a very strong opinion that it's a four-week time period. Yeah. I have a company of 30 people, so I'm not really sure the company could withstand Anybody, anybody taking, uh, well, we've had people take maternity leaves for more than four weeks. So we, we know we can get through it, but, um, four weeks is a long time for the company to have somebody check out for four weeks. Yeah. Um, would I do anything differently? You mentioned earlier that, uh, my wife and I had just become empty nesters mm -hmm. when the whole idea of sabbatical came up. So truthfully, I'm not sure I could have done it or would have done it if I still had kids at home. I think the fact that my kids were all out of the house in college and beyond uh, made it possible for me to detach from my professional and personal life for four weeks. Sure. I, um, I have the luxury of having a condo on Lake Erie. Nice. And I moved out of my house. Just I moved out for four weeks, moved to the condo, and from the condo, I visited 10 history museums in Detroit and Cleveland and Pittsburgh and points in between. And, um, I started boating. All right. This is the other, I came away from the sabbatical being a writer and a boater. Um, and, uh, I spent time with my pets. I saw my wife maybe a few days a week. She still had to live her professional life, not at the condo. And, um, so it was a lot of time to myself, which was sometimes uncomfortable yeah. and sometimes, uh, really refreshing. And, um, I don't know. I don't, I don't think I would have done any differently. I think it was time well spent. When, how it was supposed to be. Right. And I, I tried I, not to overly plan it. I did, I did overly plan it. And then I said to myself, all right, now take a step back and give yourself a little flexibility on how, you know, your day-to-day -day life is going to look like. I literally had a plan for here's how I want to schedule my days. Yeah. And then I backed away from that and let it flow a little bit more lo loosely. That could be the the high fact finder, the <laughs> same thing that led you to do the research, right? Exactly. Uh, there's so much here uh, that I, I find fascinating and I think can be helpful for people. Did having support of others sounds like such a huge component, not just your your team, not just being in a place where, you know, the, the kids are a little bit more self-reliant, uh, your wife as well, mm -hmm. in a big way. Yeah. Right. And going to a couple days a week where it's like, you could be here, uh, helping, but her probably wanting you to see it through, right? Like, did it, uh, were, was there some, did it change the, the relationship or, or not relationship, but like the conversation at all when, uh, it, you, you would see each other after not for a couple of days. Like, was that, 
it was kind of fun. I'm trying to think about that. I think, you know, absence makes the heart grow fonder. There's definitely part of that that took place. It was it was like I was going away for business trips for four or five days okay. each week. Um from her from her perspective, I was I was gone for uh, probably not five days, but three or four days a week. Um, we did a, you know, my, I have a daughter who lives in Pittsburgh, so when I went to see the his, history museums in Pittsburgh, I took my wife with me, and we went and visited and spent some time with cool. my daughter. When I went to see history museums up in Detroit, I you know connected with a, a fraternity brother of mine and spent some time with him up there, and uh, so did a little you know try to create some personal time through the course of my sabbatical journey, um, both with my wife, with my kids. I talked to my kids probably a lot more those four weeks than I normally do. Um, reconnected with a college buddy. It was, it was really time well spent. That, that stuff too, it's like we, we make time for the things that matter most to us, but it's really easy to lose sight of that or, or feel this inability to connect with people the way or at the frequency that we want to. And I was, you hit on a couple things. It reminds me of this book, uh, what's in it for them mm-hmm. by Joe Polish. I don't know if you've heard or read of that one. Uh, but he talks all the time about leading with appreciation. Uh, and one of always finding out how can you offer somebody the most value? How can you better serve them? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, one of the things that stood out so much is one of the healthy habits he talks about is carving out time to express appreciation and connect even if in a simple way, if it's sending a video to somebody, if it's um, doing that kind of stuff. And I, I'm, I'm getting that vibe from from what you're sharing with me here. Let, I'm going to hit you with a couple couple questions uh, and try to be a little, a little more concise because I, I want to get as much uh, of this as we can. If somebody is, if this is maybe the first time that they've heard about or considered a sabbatical, and even if they spent it completely differently, if somebody came up to you and said, hey, give me your recommendation uh, for things to consider or what I shouldn't do, I think you've laid out some of that, but is there anything that you would tell that person, uh, do it, don't do it, do it now, wait a year, do the research, don't. What what would your words of wisdom wisdom through from going through it be? The one thing that was probably the hardest for me to do was to detach from email. To take you know, I basically worked off a, a calendar that I had had uh, drafted out in PowerPoint for four weeks. I had a PowerPoint calendar. <laughs> I didn't have I didn't use Outlook. I didn't use I had no email. I had no phone calls. Um, I had an outgoing message on my iPhone voicemail saying that I was not available for business for four weeks. Um, you know, you do that with your email, that's easy, but I actually did it with my iPhone voicemail. I just, I just needed to create a clean break. And I think that had I not done that, I would not have gotten the benefits out of the sabbatical that I got. It was the hardest thing to do because we're all habitual email readers. Oh yeah. Uh, probably not doing it efficiently on a daily day-to-day basis and it is you kind of become a slave to your email um, that was a huge learning point for me was to completely detach that way you 
a lot of what you've talked about with your team stepping up, empowering them, the, the, the support, the, the things that make you unique. Like there's some things there that I, I, I admire and I respect about the way you've done things at Allegro and just the things that, that I see in you as a leader. I'm sure you've had others influence you the same way or some people who empower you to step up, uh, gave you a chance or saw something in you. When you think back to early career, mid-career, I think our peak leadership experiences could happen at any point. It's not mm-hmm. just uh, when we have a mentor as a you know child or early professional, like uh, we can still have them later in life. But we all think we without even realizing it, we do have figures in our lives that we strive to emulate so we can be that same experience for somebody else. When you think back through your journey, what got you here? What put you in a place that you could be that for other people? Who's yours? Like, are, are there one or two peak leaders in your life or, or uh, things that stand out as the most important characteristics to you that you tried to ball up into Michael Canner as a leader? <laughs> I probably have three mentors that I can think of that really influenced the way that I operate on a day-to-day basis. And one was my first mentor um, at the exclusive tenor representation firm that I worked at. He took me under his wing and he taught me, he taught me to communicate differently, both in writing and, and orally. He taught me how to you know, conduct financial analysis appropriately to review documents to provide detailed technical thinking and really trained me from, you know, being a college kid to, to being a professional. Mm -hmm. Um, and he had his flaws. So there were things that I took away that I learned from him. And then there were things that I learned where I learned not to be like him. Mm. And then in my third firm, I had a a mentor again who really helped me grow as a manager and as a business developer so he was a great salesperson um not not as uh, actively involved in the delivery of the services so i kind of described my role at the this was the salaried brokerage firm that i worked at i kind of described my role as being the pivot man like in basketball i was the pivot man i would be part of the sales team Probably at that point in my life, still in my late 20s, I was doing a lot of the uh, the detail work in the business pursuit activities, you know, developing the PowerPoint documents and writing the engagement letters and that type of thing, and being in the sales pitches, and then turning around and putting together the, the delivery team and managing the delivery team to achieve the objectives of what we had sold to the client. And he really helped me grow in as a business de- developer and as a manager, ultimately, ultimately to become a leader. Um, and, uh, and then the third person who I would identify as my mentor, who probably wasn't as flawed as the first two, was one of, my, one of the co-founders um, who I worked with through most of those first few experiences as a peer. Mm-hmm. 13 years older than I am, we worked side by side in the tenor rep world, in the uh, corporate outsourcing world together um, at Deloitte, and then 
he he was one of the co-founders with me at Allegro, and I would say that um, he brought a great balance of being a fantastic salesperson, although he probably doesn't recognize how, what a great salesperson he was, and just the consummate professional, just really um, putting clients first and and uh, being dependable to his team members and really exhibiting a lot of the core values that we've identified in the EOS process. Um, he retired two weeks bef- two months before COVID hit. So, um, so yeah, so those are three mentors that I had. The first two had their flaws, and part of what I learned was how I didn't want to be like them. Certainly. But I certainly learned a lot about who I wanted to be from them. And the third one is much less flawed and really was just a great partner. COVID hits, he's, he's left the firm, and we decided to implement EOS all in the same year. So if I were to talk about my peak leadership experience, it would be it would be uh, evolving from being a being the managing partner to being a visionary. Mm. It would be helping my team get through the retirement of a highly influ- influential leader in the firm. Yeah, it was about uh, delegating and distributing day to day practice management responsibilities to a broader team. Doing it all when for a period of time we had to work completely virtually. And then helping the team evolve, you know, shift back into working in the office together. We have a policy where, you know, we have a hybrid work policy like a lot of companies do today. But our people, almost to a person, come into the office five days a week because they want to be with each other. That's the kind of culture we have. Mm. So it was making sure that we preserved that culture through those leadership changes. Um, it was probably my peak leadership experience. We learned a lot about people during the time of COVID and since, because there's been such unprecedented change and challenges. I think you, good, bad, ugly, you got to see mm-hmm. when in chaos, how people respond. So I, I can appreciate that uh, being something that you, you feel was an opportunity for you to demonstrate some peak leadership that, that you learned along the way uh, from some of your mentors and uh, that that had a big upside for your team and business because, I mean, a lot a lot faltered. Uh, mm-hmm. A lot of organizations and, and people responded differently, even though they're just trying to do their best. It's leadership is doing the hard things mm-hmm. that often are for the greater good, even if that's not the best thing for you. And those are like storms we charge into this podcast into the storm leaders. Yep. We believe that courageous leadership is at the center of healthy culture because a lot of what leaders do, and it's not often communicated to first time managers. They see the, the benefits, all the upside, but not the weight, the responsibility, the lonely place, the having to put yourself behind others, like lead from the front, but then also put them their needs ahead of yours mm-hmm. and do the uncomfortable, often painful thing. You talked about a lot of that and it even how stepping back and doing some of these really healthy practices have been kind of hard for, for you. Like while better for the team, you've still had to go through 
like, am I needed to do this? What What is the value that I bring most? And Michael, like, I am excited to see where it goes. Me too. Uh, in in the future, now that you've gone through this, now that your team has, because I imagine Allegro, you st- is there still up a trajectory where you want to grow bigger? We are moving in a direction where we want to do acquisitions to grow bigger. So we, as I mentioned earlier, we have a Cleveland to Columbus office. I'd like to expand geographically. Mm-hmm. We, um, in 2016, we created a facilities management service line where we're still f- focused on serving occupiers of real estate, not traditional landlords, um, salaried team, all the same attributes as we have in our brokerage and consulting business. And, um, we are looking to grow in, to add those, to add additional service lines in Columbus and then replicate the same thing in somewhere like Cincinnati or Pittsburgh. Okay. Um, so we're looking, we're in an acquisition mode right now, looking to buy companies in the brokerage consulting and facilities management realms that uh, can help us because as I started out in our conversation, I'm on a mission to eliminate the conflicts of interest that run rampant in my industry. And the only way to do that is one deal at a time, one client at a time, one market at a time. And that's, that's what we're doing going forward. Well, I I think, uh, you're poised for like healthy acquisitions. Acquisitions can be so, so challenging to, to get on the same page, to get everyone aligned, rowing together with the same core values and, and bring that culture together. And it, it sounds like you've, I, I don't imagine you jump out of any airplanes without first reading and knowing everything about the parachute and doing your research. And mm-hmm. you probably have a pretty good plan for how, how to grow through acquisition and, uh, you know, get everyone on the same page and part of the Allegro culture. I'm, I said, I'm excited. It, it'll be interesting to see how your role takes shape with that. Yep. And you said that a part of your unique ability was in that like almost micro aspect of the sales cycle, which is telling your story and the and the brand. And I, I hope that th- this brings you some energy today and that uh, you find yourself in, in more opportunities to do some of that stuff. I don't, I started to go down the path of storms. And I think you've laid out a bunch that hopefully, uh, kind of give people some courage to do the difficult things as well, even if uh, it's not going to be easy. Are there any others that that come to mind, like things that you've seen two paths, there's one that's seemingly more comfortable, and either recently because there's been so much since COVID or or just throughout your career where you, you've you've had to lead through something that was more painful, uh, less comfortable, and just downright difficult knowing it would get to a better outcome. What comes to mind? 15 to 16 years ago, we worked two of the founders out of the company. That was a very challenging time period for us. Okay. And we did it within the four corners of our operating agreement. Um, Just try to evaluate what are our options. You know, the three of the five of us wanted to stay together two of the five of us wanted to depart and stay with each other. And we figured out how to separate these five partners from one another uh, and go our separate ways. 
very challenging time period. And, uh, and ultimately what happened was the three of us who stayed with Allegro were able to retain all of our major clients and all of our people. And, uh, so that was a storm that we charged into. No doubt. Sure. A few years later, the great recession hits, I guess a year or two later, the great recession hit. And we went through a period where we downsized and, uh, had to let go of some really good people and, I'd, I'd use the term we top graded to some extent. We had some really good people for who the company was leading into the Great Recession, but they weren't necessarily the right people for who, the right people to take us through the Great Recession and beyond. And so we parted ways with a handful of people and uh, brought on new talent that was able to sell and deliver and help the company grow going forward. So the, those were two storms that were pretty close to one another within a couple of years that, uh, we charged through, yeah. uh, about 15 years ago. P people issues, uh, who we surround ourselves with, who we work with, you know, p part of one of the things that actually drew me to culture shock and, and EOS that, that clicked for me was the, the EOS life. It's do what you love with people you love. Mm -hmm. Uh, be fairly compensated, uh, make a big difference with enough time for other passions. And before we started this interview, we talked a little bit about Forum, or, or EO, I should say, mm -hmm. uh, Entrepreneurs Organization, and how beneficial that can be. Look, both of those storms that you talked about, and something that I think so many people are up against, are when they recognize that either business partners or team members or f friends uh, and just your your network of influence the people around us I, I think we fail to realize how much we influence others both positively and negatively and how others also have that same influence on us mm -hmm. and that is a hell of a storm michael is when you realize you probably need to move on either professionally or personally uh, and maybe it's not even just move on maybe it's seek out others uh, who can, who yes, can bring you value, but who you can serve, who you can offer more value to, because I think that has a, a positive benefit as well. Can we talk about that a little bit before we, uh, you know, we're, we're getting near the end of this, but I, I think that there's something there when we talk about uh, forums and, and groups and, and who we surround ourselves with, uh, because you have some experience with it that I think could be valuable for others. Do you know? I'm trying to decide where to go with that. So I, I think let's talk about EO. Let's talk okay. about like that, how having others that have are going through similar things or, you know, by, by addressing that head on to surround yourself with the right people, like mm -hmm. what, what thoughts, what value do you find in the, the groups you okay. do that with? So again, during COVID about the same time we were implementing EOS, I joined EO you know, Cleveland. Um, and I found myself in, you know, monthly forum meetings with six to eight people, um, including me, six to eight people, uh, spending a half a day a month reflecting on what's going on in our personal lives, in our professional lives, in the community, and 
I call I refer to it as group therapy for entrepreneurs because it's basically this opportunity to talk to people who are in in a similar position to me mm-hmm. and uh, who are going through similar uh, challenges and growth opportunities and uh, and it's an opportunity to share our experiences with, with one another to help each other grow and to tackle those experiences. I mean, for some examples that you and I talked about earlier, um, I shared, I worked through the preparation to become an empty nester with this group of people. I worked through, you know, how do you survive and excel through a period like COVID? Mm -hmm. I worked through that with these people. I, um, as I would, I did a deep dive presentation on preparing for a sabbatical with these people and help them understand why I was so focused on time well spent and shared a lot of what I learned about why companies and people do sabbaticals. Um, it helped me really shape my thoughts about how I was going to spend those four weeks away from my company. I have recently done another deep dive presentation on the unique ability discovery process. Love it. To help them understand that as I came out of my sabbatical, here's how I'm shaping my future. And um, I'm shaping my future to to benefit all the people that are around me, both in my work, working life and personal life. And uh, I have it's like having a voluntary board of advisors. But not only that, it's um, the form the form of entrepreneurs provides an environment where I can share things with other entrepreneurs who are in different industries but have similar experiences can share things with them that I wouldn't share maybe with my partners. I might not share them with my spouse. I wouldn't share them with my other colleagues. Mm-hmm. There, there are issues where you can be more vulnerable and more authentic and more um, open about uh, what it's like to be uh, an entrepreneur, to be a visionary. Um, I worked through a lot of my... Um, the, the forum gave me a platform to talk about what it was like to evolve from managing partner to a visionary role, Mm. which I described as being daunting because first of all, the term visionary is a really big word that you've got to, you feel like you have to live up to. Um, but it was a major change in my day-to-day responsibilities and kind of walked through the concern about, am I becoming expendable? I'm not doing the things I was doing. I worked through a lot of those issues with my forum. That's awesome. And I think it's, that's another thing that while it's beneficial for you, I think doing things like that help, helps your people. Mm-hmm. It helps your team. And, and because often folks operate in a silo, they have the blinders on, right? It, it's like having those different audiences that we can work through some stuff it is really helpful. We do something similar with emerging leaders, middle managers, where it's more of a development forum, but they're still different companies, different industries, so that that way they can realize like, oh, you go through this as well, even though the type of work Mm -hmm. we do is way different. So we try to leave space for that. But yours, the one that you're a part of, sounds like more the true form of, you know, how a forum should operate. It's the coming together of, you know, all accomplished or, you know, professionals, um, to be a part of that in a voluntary manner. How is there one more question about it though? Like, are there healthy ground rules or some sort? I, I've heard of some forums using like the Gestalt protocol as mm-hmm. 
uh, a method for effective communication and contribution? Is there something like that in place or like what for those who maybe haven't been a part of a group like that before and could see value in it, can you help them understand what to expect a little bit more as far as like how you interact with people in the group? Or? Yeah, a couple of the major ground rules are number one, that everything said within forum is confidential. So people recognize that they can share information with one another that isn't going to be heard by anybody else. Mm -hmm. That's a critical ground rule because if you're not feeling like you're in a conf confidential environment, you're not going to be as open and vulnerable. The goal is to share your 5% experiences, the 5% best or worst things that you're experiencing um, in your reflections every, every month. And so to get to that 5%, you have to feel like you're in a confidential environment. But you touch on another issue, which is um, EO used to refer to it as the Gestalt approach, but basically it, they call it shared experiences now. And the idea is that we have a group, like you said, a group of, of accomplished professionals sitting together. And when they raise their challenges, they're not necessarily looking for advice. They don't, you know, one of the ground rules is you don't give advice. You don't say you should do this. Instead, you share an experience and say, well, because everyone's experiences are different. So yeah. you, you can't tell them I did this and here's what you should do. You just, you can tell them I experienced something similar to that and here's how I handled it, which allows that person to decide what they want to take from that experience to apply to their, their path forward. They can take some of it and they can leave some of it. And when you get that kind of shared experience, experiences from a handful of people who you respect because they've lived a similar life as an entrepreneur to you and they've had similar challenges and experiences, then you can take what you want from each of them and, and try to determine how to piece them together and thread, thread them together and, and determine what your, your own path will look like. For sure. If somebody gives me advice and tells me what to do, I'm less likely to do it. Right. Right. <laughs> because right. I, I know uh, we're, we're all unique mm -hmm. in such a way that what worked for you, carbon copy, won't work for me. Right. So I, I love that. Exposure experiences you know, to others and let them take from it what is relevant, what is meaningful, uh, that they can exactly. apply. Exactly. How much did you what, talk about the progress you made on your book? All right, let, let's kind of start wrapping up some of these segments or some of these things with coming out of that sabbatical. I know you worked on it. Are we gonna are we gonna see something in the it's gonna take some near time. future? It's gonna take some time. So I did a lot of the research. Okay. Um, I will probably continue to do research throughout the course of writing the book. I wrote I drafted more than ten percent of it while I was on my sabbatical. Okay. Which is more than I planned to. Nice. But I'm told, uh, the other thing I, I did during my sabbatical is I did a writer's workshop. So every Wednesday night, I was going to a workshop to work on character development and those types of things. And I've continued doing writer's workshops since the sabbatical. Nice. But I'm told that most people writing their first book, it could take them four or five years. Mm. I was hoping to do it in a couple of years. I can tell you that I haven't really established the writing habit that's going to keep me on a shorter time frame than that yet. I'm really, it's something I'm actually looking at some of the EOS methodology to figure out how can I apply 90 day rocks? How can I, um, how can I assign 
to do is how can I identify issues that I need to tackle yeah. to try to get through my writing process. So I'm trying to approach it the way that I approach my work life. I love that. Having a I'm system not, helps. Yeah, I'm not there yet, but no. I'm, I'm working on it. You're mindful. You're, you're very, uh, <laughs> I like how your brain works that you're, you know, thinking of how can I take what works here and uh, apply it to something to, to get the benefit of it. Pete from our team has written a couple books. Now, uh, one of them was don't burn your toasts or wedding toast 101. And then another is a, a children's book. But I think that process I learned from him uh, always takes a little longer than you expect. It's uh, there's some challenges and things that you don't fully anticipate, but uh, just get once you get that. I think you said the second one was much easier than the first, mm -hmm. right? So like well, once you get that one done. Once you build the habit of writing. That's what it is, right? And, and, and again, with my achievement orientation, I need to establish smaller achievable goals to feel else. like I'm making progress. Yeah. Because it's just, otherwise it's just a really amor amorphous activity. How many words do you want to write a day? How many words do you want to write a week? When do you, you know, how far how, how far into your draft do you go before you start to work on the editing process when do you seek out an outside editor yeah and a publisher i don't i'm not anywhere close to that yet but those are some of the things i have to think about and yeah writing the first time it's a whole new experience well i i hope you'll uh i'm, I'm sure we'll stay in touch and see each other but I, I hope you keep me updated uh so that we can provide updates i won't ask you for you know more details of it yet because i'll let that take shape but when, when you do get closer to the finish line tell us so that, that way we can share uh, what it is i also ask that somewhat selfishly because i think just the topics we talked about today are probably book worthy uh <laughs> the the presentation that you gave uh to to your forum group talking about sabbatical talking about uh all that went into it and came out of it uh and then also that unique ability but at the same time, Michael, perhaps it's a little too soon to tell that full story. It is. It is. But one of my forum members actually suggested, you should write a book about sabbaticals. So like you said, um, so maybe that's a future book. I've got to get through the first book first. Yeah. You got a unique perspective. You've had unique experiences. Uh, I I personally feel like I benefit from, from hearing them and from, from learning about it a little bit. What else would you share? Uh, anything... I guess look through two lenses. We've got uh, folks who are earlier in their career uh, looking to to grow into executive roles. And we've probably got some uh, executives, some owners, some people in a similar position as you, uh, you know, who, who hopefully, you know, are considering some things that maybe they haven't in the past. Any Anything else that I, I know you don't want to give advice right? We're, we're not, uh, <laughs> we'd rather it be shared experiences, but just anything that you had planned on saying that, that you didn't get a chance to yet. Not specifically, but I guess I could share that change is a lot of people fear change. And I think that, um, my story in recent, in the last few years has been about a lot of change and resilience to work through it a lot of self-discovery to help me do that. Um, I think throughout our lives, the one thing that's constant is change. I didn't come up with that myself. Um, I've never heard that one. you never heard that, that one? That was... One thing that's constant is change. Yeah. And so we need to figure out how we are going to manage through change. 
and and that's a lot of what that my my recent uh, my recent story is about managing through change. No doubt. For those you're you're poised for for growth at Allegro. For those who want to get in touch with you, for those who uh, heard this and, and want to pick your brain uh, about something sabbatical related uh, or maybe opportunities to join Allegro, how do they get in touch with you or the Allegro team? What, you know, as far as continuing the conversation with Michael Canner and Allegro, what do they do? LinkedIn? I'm on LinkedIn, I'm in Facebook and Twitter or X, whatever it's called now. Oh, yeah. Um, Just change the name on us, right? Uh, should I give my email address? If you like to. I can, whatever you want to list, I'll list it in the, in the show notes. Uh, so I guess let me ask specifically about Allegro. Like if there's uh, those, do, do you have positions that you post? Uh, are there open positions now? Yes, uh, yes. Okay. So the best way to contact us at Allegro is through our website, allegrorealty.com. Uh, we have a career page in there that'll provide a path to share your interest in, in the company. Awesome. I want to make sure to say that because people, look, people leave leaders, mm -hmm. not jobs as much, right? right? Or leave because of leaders, not because of the job. And also look for opportunities where the leadership uh, aligns with their own values. And I, I'm sure, you know, with some of the stuff that you shared, uh, that can be compelling for, for mm -hmm. people to want to be a part of that. Uh, you know, you don't often, when you're finding a new job or, or thinking about a, a career move, you don't often get that level of vulnerability or uh, understanding of who the, the leadership team is. So hopefully uh, some folks got that out of our, our conversation today. So I want to make sure to mention that. It has been a pleasure. I appreciate you coming in and sharing your story. I'd like to do another one of these in the future to check in uh, on both book, but uh, business as well, because like I said, I'm excited to see where it goes. Uh, before we do wrap, you want to say, say, say about uh, the listeners or uh, anything else? I really appreciate the opportunity to talk with you today, Joe. This was great. Um, again, it's part of my uh, self-discovery process is thinking through some of the topics we've talked about today and uh, sharing my experiences with others. And I uh, really appreciate the opportunity. Thank you. Yep. You've been great too. We appreciate you. Listeners, I hope that you took a ton from this one. Uh, let us know if you have any feedback. Of course, as mentioned, check out the show notes to get in touch with Michael directly, uh, to check out the opportunities at Allegro. If you have any of your own experience with this stuff, jump into the comments, share your story as well. Uh, these are things that uh, I want to continue the dialogue around because I think that they do have such an impact on so many. It's where we invest our time uh, and how we embrace change, to Michael's point. So folks, thanks again. We'll see you next time.